Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Jeannie Sanders. She is the CEO and president of Practice of Positivity Corporation, the founder of Grit, a motivational speaker, leadership trainer and consultant, a philanthropist, a wife, and last but certainly not least, a mother. Welcome, Jeannie. I am so excited and happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. This is very, very exciting. Very exciting. It is my pleasure and my honor. I am so excited to jump in and share all of the beautiful magic that you shine out into the world. So with that being said, let's get started. Wow, it's exhausting thinking about all those titles and hats that you wear. Quite a resume. How do you find the time for all of this? And how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you? So if you're exhausted, I'm equally exhausted. No, I 100% believe in prioritization and I think it's imperative to prioritize. I do. I've been working on it. Hopefully as I've gotten older, you have to prioritize the thing differently and better. But I learned probably in my thirties to be very, which I know is probably a common answer. And that's what people say. And we know we have to be intentional, but it is tough sometimes, obviously as a wife and I love my family. I love to be with my family. I love my friends. I love my work and I love my kids. So you have to prioritize. And I have learned to be more and more intentional and I'm not afraid to say no. I'm not afraid to say no. And I think that's really important. That is for sure. I think that's key is that little two-letter word. It's so big. It carries a lot of weight. And we need to realize that it's okay to say no and that no is a complete sentence. You don't have to explain afterwards, which we find the need to do all the time, right? No, because I got this going on. or No, you could just say no and that's okay. And you can say it politely too, right? Yeah. It be combative or controversial. It's not a negative. Yep. It's just no. And that's yeah. what it is. And it's funny, my dad always says, you don't have to explain to friends and enemies won't believe you anyway. <laughs> there you, you go. Know? Wise right? man. <laughs> and it's, and it's true, right? You don't have to explain to your friends. They're like, they understand. They got it. Absolutely. So, and another visual, many years ago when I was working for Siemens, I was the chairman of our women's group. And we invited a woman named Monica Wofford onto, it was, I mean, gosh, I don't even know, 15 years ago now. And she came to speak and she talked about contagious confidence. And one of the things she said, she gave us this visual of if you're always the yes person, if you're the yes girl, you look like a bobblehead. Who wants to look like a bobblehead? I said, that's a great visual. It is. That is very true. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I'm very curious, with you being a serial entrepreneur wearing multiple hats, what does your morning routine look like? Oh, boy. So I'm in Florida right now. I'm here for the summer with my two girls. I have my 21-year-old stepdaughter and my three-year-old. So my routine has changed a little bit because I'm not in my home environment. When I'm at home, I have a pretty exact schedule. I wake up between 6 and 6.30 every morning. I have about an hour, hour and a half before the little one wakes up. And I have a literal routine. I do the Keurig. I shut the lights off. I do all of the things around my house, let the dog out all before picking up my phone. I don't pick up my phone. I don't look at my computer or my emails or text messages until I've done all that. I do some sort of thanks, whether it's a quick devotional or a little prayer, read a Bible verse, or I just have my moment. What here, I sit outside, say thank you, watch the waves, have my coffee, and then I go. So, But I do think it's important because I know these days, right? We want to pick up our phones so quickly. Yeah. And I just, I don't do that. I think it's a good way to start the morning and keep my head clear. 
That's great to have that self-awareness to do that, though, because you're right. We do. We get sucked into that device and then it's scrolling and looking at email. And then before you know it, an hour and a half has passed by and you haven't done shit. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. I mean, because you can get stuck. Yeah, and you're, absolutely. And it's just messages or emails. I mean, you can get stuck on that, but you need that time in the morning. Absolutely. For sure. I would love to know what you were doing for a living before you made the jump into entrepreneurship and what was the catalyst for that shift for you? So I spent 21 years with Siemens. I started when I was 20 as a co-op student. I was working across the street or I was going to school. I was at UCF across the street and I'm 20 years old and I started as a co-op student in purchasing. I had an HR manager walk over to me and he was like, you need to be in the sales and marketing development program. He brought me in and I was one of 16 at the 11th hour who joined the program. And I spent several years in field sales. I went down to Jupiter and I was the girl in the safety goggles and hard hat and steel toed shoes. I ran around power plants for a few years and then I came back up to corporate in Orlando. So I grew up in power generation. Lots of changes happened, but I had a wonderful, mostly a wonderful career. <laughs> Worked with amazing people. I had great mentors. I worked for the president of sales and I ran sales operations at, towards the end of my career. And that's really where, and you'll probably ask more of this later, but that's re really where I started to find my desire and love for working with people. Mm -hmm. So I was sales operations and I was doing a lot of the headquarters sales related activities and more of the boring stuff, if you will. But then I was implementing, I was working in training and development programs, implemented a bunch of different trainings and things like that. And I found that that was, I just absolutely loved it. Started speaking at different things. I worked with UCF to start a sales engineering program. And so I did a lot of speaking at UCF and that's what I did. It was probably what, it was 16 years into my career that I was actually in Washington, D.C., Mm -hmm. I was at the White House, was invited by the head of the Joining Forces campaign for Michelle Obama's wow. team at that time. Yeah. And we went and talked about hiring veterans into the development program that I was managing. And it was at that time that the head of HR had asked me to move over and run strategic programs for the U.S. So I made a big shift in my career, 16 years in sales, and then I jumped into HR for the last five. Wow. So, and so what was the catalyst for you leaving that and moving into entrepreneurship? So it's very interesting. So I'm a big believer in mentors. I joined a mentor program at Siemens very early on and kind of grew in the mentoring world. And so I had an executive mentor. I was nominated as a top talent at Siemens and I had an executive mentor and he started encouraging me. He said, I, I really think with all of your experiences and everything that you've done and your transitions and just working in male dominated environment and running diversity initiatives that you could really give back to others. And so I kind of sat with that and it didn't become real until I met my now husband and moved to Nevada. And I was working for a global manager at Siemens. And then all of our positions were eliminated. Wow. So not all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah. And I don't talk about that enough. I don't talk about that. I just say my career was done with Siemens, but all of them are pretty much eliminated. And Steve really encouraged me to start my own business. And he said to me, I remember the day he goes, you work like an entrepreneur. You're up at midnight, 1230, 2.30 in the morning, five. You work like an entrepreneur. You should work for yourself. So that was really the catalyst. I think if I hadn't kind of been nudged yes. by many different things, I would have been comfy cozy for a while and my corporate job. So that was June of 2019. Wow. So what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do, Jeannie? Oh, boy. Well, <laughs> I have a lot of energy, but I will say I learned a lot. My mom is one of my biggest heroes and one of my biggest mentors and role models. And she taught me at a very early age to create as many options for myself as I can, that I can do it but to create options so that I'm always kind of in the power of choosing. And so I have that. And so that is a motivating factor for me, but I love working with people. I just love being with people. I love connecting people. I love seeing their growth and their transformation and really what can happen, even if it's just one person, right? For me, I don't need 25,000 people. I need one who says, yes, I've got it. I want to be a stronger leader. I want to be a better person, whatever it is. That's my motivating factor. It really is incredible to help guide people and support people and connect people. There is such a beautiful energy in that and such a, 
a fulfilling feeling to be able to connect two people and then to see them come together and create something and just flourish from that and build on that relationship. It's such an incredible feeling. It is. It absolutely is. I mean, even I think with our friendships and you and I have probably talked about it before, even with friendships, I was never afraid to connect this group with that group and to bring people together. And there's so much power, right? I mean, we've heard forever, obviously as a mom now that it takes a village, but I think it's than just being a mom, it's being a business owner, a professional, just a human being in life. Yeah. I think we're built to connect and we're stronger to do it. 100%. I, we're not meant to do this thing called life alone. We're not meant to do entrepreneurship alone. And let's be honest, we can't do it alone. It's not no. possible. No, right? we, so we we, community is so important and integral. It is the foundation for everything that we are as human beings, again, in business, in life, we need community. Absolutely. So, and that's what we're trying to do. I mean, that's what I try to do, whether it's working with a company on culture or their training or really our grip programs to get people together, to get them outside, to get them moving, pushing the comfort zone and really transforming that way. Now, as mentioned, you are the CEO and president of Practice of Positivity Corporation. Can you tell us a little bit about the company and when you started it? Sure. So I started in 2019, mm-hmm. perfect timing before I found out I was pregnant and we had a global <laughs> pandemic. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> you can't make it up. No. So I started in 2019. I found out in December that I was pregnant at 43. <laughs> and then of course, COVID came in 2020, but I started it. I said, I really am a, I call myself a realistic optimist. It's not fluffy. I like not just positive thoughts. It's positive doing. I like action. I'm always action speaks louder than words. So, and that's kind of how I came up with it. It's not just perfection of positivity and there's power of positivity. We see that yeah. I 100% believe in, but I think for me, practice of positivity, it's in line with like practicing piano, practicing football, practicing medicine. We're all practicing to do what we can do. So that's why I started. And I really wanted to build on, I mean, I did a lot. I had a great career. I did a lot of teams. I didn't just have a corporate career. I was involved. I tried to get involved as much as I could with all my volunteer opportunities. And so I do have a lot of tools and I don't reinvent the wheel. I like to ask questions and figure things out and use what I have. And so I've brought all that with me and I use that now in my world. And so I wanted to bring what I've used and what people taught me and the lessons and pitfalls and all the things that are (laughs) and share that with other people. And so what is the focus of the company? What exactly is practice of positivity all about? What do you guys do? So the three pillars of my company are culture, connector, and courageousness. So everything that we're talking about is really in those three areas. So it's working with companies of a company culture. If you're having a leadership problem or motivational problem, working with a company to figure out what's exactly going on and how we can pinpoint that. And if there's trainings or anything that we can do in line to get back on track, leadership training, and then of course our grip programs. Now, with you working in leadership training and development, Jeannie, what is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other leadership trainers? Why would they choose to work with you as opposed to someone else? So I think it's really, it's a good question because there are so many of us, which I think is okay. I don't think that you can saturate, right? right? Just like with, you know, attorneys or doctors or whoever it is. I don't think you can saturate. We all have something that sets us apart. So for me, I think number one is in fact my 21 years at Siemens. I think moving from sales and transitioning into HR and kind of growing up in a business and working in a male-dominated business, I bring a lot to the table that's just, oh, I want to start a consulting business and be a a trainer or a consultant. Not that's wrong at all either, I think awesome if people want to do that. But I have that background that I can say, I have that experience. Let me share with you what I learned. And so that's number two is I genuinely try to bring to the table optimism and fun. And many moons ago, before Barbara Stanley was a shark, before she was on Shark Tank and Fox News contributor or whatever, I actually saw her at a leadership conference in Orlando. And I remember her saying she always tried to incorporate fun. She would ride in on a horse in her meeting. (laughs) Who does that? Barbara Stanley much fun, right, to incorporate that. And so what I have found is a lot of people always say, most people will kind of give me the feedback that it was a positive experience and it was fun, uplifting and motivating and fun. And that's what I I think differentiates me from other people too. Love it. What in your opinion then is the most important skill set or quality in a leader? 
And this is a tough one. I know when you say what is the most, I should be able to pinpoint it. There are so many. But right now, right now where I am, I think asking questions and in learning how to and the value of asking questions. Because I think what that does, that's in line with confidence as well. I think if you're not confident, then you're not able to, to do that either. But when you're asking questions, how many times have you heard someone talk about a situation in corporate America or in leadership or whatever it is, and you've talked about that 10 times and nobody's asking the question, have we done this before? How could we do it better? What worked that didn't work last time? What do we think? Right, just asking those questions. And I think that helps us develop our teams. I think that helps us delegate to other people. So asking questions, and I talk a lot about that in my trainings as well as asking powerful questions. And I've actually hosted a luncheon with a group of women from a leadership program called Women Unlimited. And I only asked questions. And it's really amazing to see the emotion that is evoked because when you ask questions of others, it allows them to come up with the answer instead of us telling all the time. So I think really, I think the most important right now is asking questions and and understanding the value and how to ask questions. What an interesting approach that is to take in a seminar or in a meeting to only ask questions. That must have been incredibly powerful and insightful. It was very insightful. It was very, I mean, for me as a person doing it, it was, but I think even for the people I was talking to, and then I just hosted another training recently and I did something similar with them. I had them get into groups and pinpoint after their wheel of life that they had done, which is another coaching tool they one-on-one just spent the time five minutes each just asking each other questions. And again, a lot of emotion and a lot of power behind it. Men and women. Yeah. What is one of your greatest strengths as a leadership trainer and consultant? I'm pretty real. And I think we talk a lot about authenticity and I think it's hugely important. I think just being authentic and recognizing you may not have the answers all the time. But for me, I customize a lot and I have no problem. I mean, one of my mentors at Siemens once told me it's important to say, you may not know how to say everything, but you have to learn how to just say it. And so I do that with folks. I think my leadership style, one of my greatest strengths is saying, okay, let's customize this for you. It's not one size fits all. Let's talk about what's for you. And the other thing is actually in life that kind of folds into leadership as well is I think I've been pretty blessed with a very good perspective, meaning I don't have to endure the negative to appreciate the positive. And so right. I don't right, I don't need the pitfall to necessarily appreciate the mountaintops. And I think that kind of folds in nicely to work as well with, yeah. with other people. What is the process in your mind that best supports leadership development? What is one of the processes? So, yeah, I think one of the processes, and again, I would fall on the three C's of the pillars of my company, culture, connector, and courageousness. And uh, I think as leaders, we are so, and purposefully and rightfully so, so concerned about our people that sometimes we we forget about ourselves. So for me, taking a pause and a moment to reflect internally and start with your culture. And we talk a lot about culture. And when I talk about culture, it's often you are, where you're from, your beliefs and those types of things. But it's also really inward. Who are you? Who are you as a leader? What are you doing really well? What are you not? So I think the first process is to figure out, kind of look inside of you. So it's It's an internal dialogue with yourself. And then I think next you move into connector and then it's connecting with people moving into the third pillar, which is to be courageous for whatever change it is you need to make. Love that. Thank you for sharing that. Jeannie, what is one tip or takeaway that listeners can implement immediately to start stepping into and embracing their inner leader and begin to own that? So I think I would say two things. If there are leaders, I think that are doing an excellent, fantastic job and they are not free of further development, right? I mean, even if you are the best of the best, then we have an opportunity to get better and to do things differently. And so I think for those people, if you are, what I would say is if you're there and you're doing a great job, awesome. Look back, and I'm a big believer. We talk a lot about looking forward and your windshield and all those things, and I think that's great, but there's so much power in looking back and connecting your dots. So I would say for those people, connect two dots of what's worked really well to get you where you are and keep doing it. And I think for the people who are saying, how can I step in? Either I'm in a rut or I need to do something something different. 
I'm a big believer in challenging yourself, pushing your limit, get out of your comfort zone. So whatever that looks like, do one thing that pushes you out of your comfort zone, execute it and look back and see how powerful you feel. Because it really does help us establish our confidence when we've done something, whether it's taking on a new role, taking on a new mentor, getting outside and doing something crazy like a crazy hike or a paddle, but to do something that pushes you a little bit so you can learn. Yeah. Really. Stretch yourself. That is one thing that we all struggle with. And you mentioned earlier about the leadership and just because you're at a certain point where you think you're doing really well does not mean that there's not more work to do. We're constantly evolving. We're constantly growing as human beings. So that all plays into it. But realizing that you've got to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. There's no growth in a comfort zone. You have to push yourself out and grow and expand. It's scary as shit, but you have to do it. Yeah, it is scary. I mean, my husband always says to me, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. And it does. It, it pushes you. And then to look back, really to look back and realize the strength that you have. I mean, that's, you know, grit. Go reinvigorate intrinsic talents because it's in us. It's intrinsic to us as yeah. human beings. So, but, you know, sometimes we just need to reinvigorate. But yeah, there's a, really cool, there's a cool diagram that talks about your learning zone and your comfort zone. And yeah. When we always tell people to get into your learning zone, that's where the growth happens. But you can go back to your comfort zone, right? It's like working mm-hmm. out. You can't work out 24 hours a day. Right. You work out, your muscles need to repair. So you go back into your rest and go back into your comfort zone and to get back out again. And there's power in doing both of them. You have to. You've got to do both. Just like you have to rest when you work out and you've got to rest yeah. at night after you've had a long day of podcasts. Right, Brad? <laughs> yeah, yes, Jeannie. <laughs> Thank you for that reminder. (laughs) Thank you for pointing that out. (laughs) Must rest a little bit sometimes. Absolutely. What are three of the most important lessons you've learned in your career as someone who works with coaches, with leaders? With leaders. So, I mean, one, I think, gosh, I remember watching at Siemens, I remember watching, I hate to be grim, but people, I watched some very relevant and important and wonderful leaders pass away for example, mm-hmm. right, where something happened. And it was a stark reminder that we are quickly, right, we mourn, we remember, we acknowledge how awesome, how impactful they were to us, but then they're replaced, right? Jobs yeah. are replaced. And so that is something that I think we all need to remember. One of my biggest lessons is that we're all replaceable. So be as great as you can be when we can be. It's going to evolve. It's going to change. We're going to get older, whatever it is. So be as great as you can be when you can, number one. Number two is literally, I know a lot of people talk about this, but sometimes it's easier to say than to do, but to surround yourself with those people who who are going to encourage you. And sometimes we get nervous about it. Like, well, we should just be around everybody. And then, well, that is nice in theory, but find those people who really do encourage you, who are going to maybe even challenge you, who have the intelligence to teach you something new. Don't be afraid to do that, truthfully. And then even from a business perspective, and I think this could apply both in life and in business, is to focus on what you can control. And I think that definitely is a lot of what I talk about is both, is life and business, because I think it's one and the same. But to focus on what you control. And growing up, I think I worried about too many other things that you can't control. And as you get older, you really understand that you do. You can only focus on what you can control and your response to everything else. And that is so powerful. For sure. Worrying is a useless emotion. It doesn't serve anyone around you. Least of all, it doesn't serve you. It only damages. Right. And you've got to figure out why. What's the worry? I know I'm a woman of faith. I shouldn't worry. But So what is this in my head? Why am I waking up at three o'clock in the morning? You know, <laughs> worried about this. So it's there. We're human. And, yeah. and that's okay. We have to recognize that. But it's definitely a, a very big leadership lesson for me. Yeah. Now, having worked in the world of leadership development and training, I'm curious to hear how your coaching style has evolved from when you first started to now. So I'm going to say what I mentioned about the leadership trade, the successful leadership trade is asking questions. It's so easy to want to just give so much and write and and say and inspire and talk and, and motivate. So I've been working really specifically on asking questions. I mean, even again, in my personal life, like with my stepdaughter, for example, asking those questions, asking do you need me? What can I help you with? What does that look like? Where are you going to go from here? And those types of things. And then 
Also with clients, the same thing, just really listening and asking more questions so that I have a better understanding. So it's like the 80-20, right? It's front-end loading, making sure that we're front-end loading things yeah. a little specifically, and then execution is that much easier. I love it. Yeah. Now, you having worked with so many CEOs and leaders and innovative minds and leadership, I would love to hear your thoughts and opinions on what the difference is between an expert, a regular leadership, and thought leadership. I also would like to know yours. <laughs> oh, you're going to turn it around on me, are you? <laughs> yeah. Well, because I, I usually focus, it's an interesting question because my three are typically management, leadership, and coaching. And those are the three areas that I talk about more than expert. I would say specific, regular, expert, right? If you're looking at a triangle, I think specific mm. leadership is very specific. There's one area of focus. One area of focus. Yeah. And then you kind of move down to a more broad, ask questions, get feedback, and then hear your expert level, which I'm, I'm lower, but it's broader expert level, then you are, you're focused on empowering other people. So you probably are a specific, you've got an expertise, you probably mm -hmm. are regular because you can yeah. feedback from your people. And yeah. now you're moving to empowering. You are very comfortable giving back. Yeah. Giving back. And like you said, asking questions is such a huge piece of all of that. I think that falls in under all three categories is asking those questions and not being afraid to ask for help or for support from your team either. Just because you're a leader doesn't mean that you know everything or you have all the answers. And I think that is probably one of the biggest things about leadership is that you know that you're not going to have all the answers and you can lean on your team. That's what they're there for. You're not perfect. Absolutely. So let me share this story. I just <laughs> a grip program in Nevada and we hiked for probably about eight hours. We hiked the Gold Strike Hot Springs down. We paddled, hiked back up. We had five 30 pound stand up paddle boards on backs. We assigned accountability partners and this team of 25 passed the, the, the backpack back and forth. And I had the CEO, five C-suite executives and the rest were professionals and managers. Right. And so they were all together. They all did this. And one of the executives on the return was, wow. I mean, I'm feeling very emotional about this. I'm learning. I, I don't ask for help. And I said, would you share your story tomorrow? And he said, absolutely. So the next day we started our day with a, a debrief about an hour and a half. We really got into it and he stood up and really was very emotional on asking mm -hmm. for help. And he had one of his employees in there and just to watch the emotion from both of them. He is the executive who hadn't asked for help and the employee that he asked for help. He was like, I need you to carry this backpack. Can you please help me? And the power that the employee got from his manager, this executive asking for his help. <laughs> so this individual said, I'm going to go and get on an airplane and I'm going to go apologize to my wife for not asking for her help for the last 30 years. And it wow. was like, it, yeah, it was so great. That's transformational. Right. So just to watch the emotion when someone who never asked for help learned how to ask for help. And it was beautiful. I just posted about that yesterday. And we are so often conditioned to believe that you have to be strong and you have to have all the answers. You can't ask for help. You've got to do it by yourself. But I think that's a weakness. I think the strength is in realizing that you can ask for help and it's okay. But because of conditioning, it's so very hard. It is. And I think, again, I'm going to, as a female, I grew up that way. I feel like even more for me, I took on a lot and I'm, I'm a female, I'm in a male dominated business. I can't ask for help. I need to figure out, I need to do this. I need to have the strong face on. And I cried one time at work in 20 years, 21 years, but then you do, you realize you grow out of that and evolve into understanding, lean on your people, yeah. that lean on your people. And it's okay as a leader, you have to know that. Yeah. And I think that's the best. I mean, I think if you asked what leaders need besides asking questions and it's really that confidence. And when you establish and you have that confidence and you really, I think can lean on people more because you are, yeah, it's more than vulnerability. I mean, you recognize that, but you are confident enough to say, I know that I'm smart. I know I'm capable, but I also doesn't mean I don't need help. That's you can right. help and be okay with that and still be an excellent very successful leader who motivates and empowers other people. And in fact, I think you do it even better when you do that. 100%. Which I'm learning. I'm learning the more vulnerability. <laughs> well, vulnerability. I've never been <laughs> yes. a vulnerability person. 
And I'm trying to kind of get into that a little bit more. And that is a beautiful thing too, because when you as a leader share your vulnerability, it lets your people know that, hey, wait a minute, Jeannie's vulnerable. It's okay for me to be vulnerable too. It's a permission slip to others that, hey, I can stand up and share my vulnerability too. So there's a ripple effect there when you do that. You're setting an example. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're allowing people to, to your point, to be more comfortable. So now they open up and you can get in their heart, mind and soul of everything else that's happening in their professional and personal world. Yeah, absolutely. What do you consider to be a couple of the essential traits of a successful leader? So I would go back to confidence. I would go back literally asking your questions and establishing confidence. And I think also what's really important, and I don't know if we've let, let go of this, but I grew up with some really wonderful leaders who just brought people together. They protected their team. They brought people together. They promoted without feeling like someone was going without any sort of threat. They recognized, they created exceptional teams because they had the confidence to do so. And that they did ask the right questions and they just brought together wonderful teams. So, I mean, I'm just going to tap back into, you do need to establish your confidence and ask your questions. Now, as a leadership trainer, what techniques do you teach executives to help them develop and communicate their unique perspectives and insights? So I'll I'll give you two. And Mm -hmm. one goes back to what we were saying. I participated in a coaching course in Washington, D.C. for three days. And that, for me, was really my catalyst to start asking more questions. And this was many years ago because I wasn't asking questions. And so I actually had to wear a little placard around my chest that said, ask powerful questions. And all I was allowed to do for three days was just ask questions. So because of that, and that was through another training institute, and I, it's very well respected, they're a global organization. And so again, back to, I've picked up a lot of these tools along the way. So why reinvent the wheel? So without making it my own, I just say, CTI has this great wheel of life. And so I use the wheel of life pretty often pretty um, often. I think it's fantastic. And it's a great way to get people to identify different areas of their life where they feel like they're like on a scale of zero to 10, how satisfied are they with this area of life? And then the other I learned when I was working at Siemens and I was trained and coached by the head of our communications and she taught our CEOs. She was trained by some high level communication experts and she taught us the message triangle. And it is a triangle where you have your key message, your key takeaway, what you want your audience, the emotion you want them to evoke when you're done in the center. And then you have your three main messages. It's very simple. It's and it's very powerful. And we watched videos of people on television of executives who had a message triangle and those who didn't. And it always helps you come back to your center message or your emotion that you want that audience to leave with, whatever that is. So the message triangle, the CTI um, wheel of life are, are two that we use pretty often. Very cool. What are some common misconceptions that executives have about leadership development and how do you help them realize the importance of ongoing learning and skill development? So I've been pretty fortunate. I feel like people who end up in my circle are already in it, right? They're like, we know this is great. We know the power behind this type of leadership training. We know what it's like to get out of your comfort zone. Like we're all in. Get us dirty. Make us uncomfortable. We're ready. This is push us, Jeannie. All right. So fortunately, but I do know two things. One is there's I think a misconception that leadership can't be developed. That it's just an innate skill. And I totally disagree with that. I read a book. I have just given away a book, I think the last year during one of my conferences called Positive Intelligence, and it's all research-based. And he is the former CEO of the coaching company I was just talking about, I'm sure Zad. So he wrote this book and his research indicates that you can train your brain. And he talks about the tours and all these really cool things. We do the positive intelligence quiz and my training, but what we know is you can transform your brain. You can one step at a time. So if you can do that from being an optimist and thinking a little bit more optimistically about a leader, well, then you can develop as a leader. And the second is, I think men sometimes think that it's not a male thing. Like leadership is just, you know, leadership development is, you know, men are, they don't need it. Yeah, so, they're born leaders. <laughs> 
And listen, I think men are awesome. I grew up in a male-dominated business. I have some wonderful mentors and leaders, and I've seen them, the ones who embrace it. They have got mentees. They support development. They bring all kinds of people on board, and they're just fascinating to work with. But I do think in this world, there is that misconception that, you know, it is often maybe don't need it. Well, I love that you shared that. I think it's very important to share that because it's, it exists. It's out there, right? Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. For leaders who are struggling to motivate their teams, what strategies do you recommend to help inspire and engage employees across all levels of the organization? Across all levels, I want to take everybody on a grit program. <laughs> I don't mean to be salesy and any of those things. I mean, this is my true feeling of how to get folks motivated, inspired, connected, developing, moving the needle in a different or right direction. And I do think you get your team. I mean, there's a reason why organized sports are so popular, right? Because yeah. you've got a group of people who are all working together for a common goal. You're high-fiving, you're sweating it out. There is so much power in it. So that is my number one strategy that I would suggest is, and it doesn't have to be me, but I think get your team and do something different. Get them together we're in this really interesting space because we used to be in the office and then we're hybrid. Now maybe some yeah. of us are back, but we're still hybrid. And so it doesn't matter whether you're in the office, out of the office, hybrid or not, wherever you are physically, I think we need to get back together. We need to get together and grind it out and high five and see the power in accomplishing a goal like that. Okay. Well, great segue, Jeannie. You are the founder of Grit. <laughs> so tell us. I know you mentioned it, but repeat. can you repeat for us what GRIT stands for and what GRIT is all about? How do you incorporate that training into your, the work you do with different companies and brands? So I like to say GRIT is a mouthful, but what you're going to get is even a bigger mouthful in, in terms of GRIT. A lot of people, when I was starting this, have their opinions, as I'm sure you've experienced. You know, mm-hmm. People have their opinions about your name and what it should be. Yeah. So it stands for Go Reinvigorate Intrinsic Talents. Originally, I'll be honest, I started it as girls reinvigorating intrinsic talents because of my work to empower women, my experience at Siemens as a chairman of our women's group, and then the diversity council, and just sort of my natural affinity to supporting women and encouraging and all that. So, and then very quickly, not me, but it was others who said, you need to bring more people in these experiences. And I've had people say you could do like mother daughter experiences, husband, wife experiences beyond just corporate groups, because it really is right. The power and the transformation we see. So I quickly shifted. I've got a couple vintage shirts that say girls reinvigorating intrinsic talent. <laughs> cool. Yeah. But it's, and for go reinvigorate intrinsic talents. And it's really designed for all 10 years of folks and businesses, corporations, individuals, teams, and so on and so forth. And so the idea is to get you out of your comfort zone, is to be a little uncomfortable. There is always somebody who falls down, who is always angry with me or frustrated (laughs) at some point, and then everyone comes back full circle. And whether I always say three hours, three months, three years later, you find your strength and, and your learnings, your lessons learned from participating in something like that. So that's what it's designed to do. And so what are some of the things that you do? Like what types of things do you, activities do you bring these companies out on, these people, these leaders and so forth? So we can hike, extreme to simple. We just completed one, which included seven ropes obstacles where you had to kind of navigate down the ropes and and then back up the ropes. We're doing one in October, which is kind of a more simple hike. But hiking, paddleboarding, we're going to do some rappelling in October, taking our Can-Ams out in the desert and driving really fast and doing figure eights and fun that stuff. sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, target shooting and skydiving, all of the above. Do you have a list of activities that you provide for the companies or do you take suggestions from people or how does that work? I take suggestions. So the first thing I do, I always do a, an assessment with everyone mm-hmm. who's thinking. So I do a one-hour assessment. We always talk about fears, phobias, allergies, and anything like that. So I know right. often someone's had a rotator cuff surgery or they're afraid of something. Usually if somebody is afraid of heights, that is a cue to me to do it. <laughs> because I want them to lean on their people and their team and listen. They're going to be okay. Safety is my number one concern. Yeah. I implement safety first and then fun. 
So you're always going to be safe. I employ awesome people to work with me, whether it's my husband and, and his former military folks or other experts in the industry. But yeah, I always do a one hour assessment. I talk with the leaders. We talk about what they're facing, what's working, what's not working, what they think will be significant for their team. So there's never really a one size fits all. You always have somebody who wants to do more extreme. Well, that want less. Sometimes you have to fit. Let's, let's play it safe over here. Let's <laughs> play it safe. And that goes back to when you asked me about my leadership style. Again, I grew up 16 years at Siemens and sales and I called on customers. And so I'm yeah. very customer focused and I believe in listening to my customers and giving uh-huh. them something that's customized for them. So we customize the experience. Love it. Yeah. What inspires or lights you up the most about the work you do? Well, I think I've said it. I love watching people complete some type of leadership training or a grip program with just an exhausted smile of that was awesome. I can't believe I did it. Again, this last program, I did a a 30 second overview of what they felt just to hear these people at raw. They didn't know I was going to interview them. What did grip mean to you? And, you know, 95% of them said I, I, my husband's so proud of me, or I can't believe I did that, or it was so powerful for me to, to get through that. So it really is to watch people grow and establish confidence. I want people to live the best lives they can live personally and professionally. And if I can do that by taking people out and hiking and climbing and doing fun things, and awesome. What an incredible thing to be part of, though, to help people realize that they're capable of something. Like, the power in that is just phenomenal. And the feeling of gratitude to be able to do that for someone is yeah. just unbelievable. It's pretty awesome. And it, and it really started kind of organically. My husband is a former Navy SEAL and he's an avid all of the above. And yeah. so he started doing that with me. I mean, he threw me into some situations where quite frankly, I was pretty terrified. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> some hikes and I was looking at him and I was like me a small wire and then the ground 800,000 miles down (laughs) so but you know I trust him I trusted him I got out of my comfort zone and so it really started organically obviously you do your business due diligence and you figure out who's doing this and who's not and right I remember doing my research and there was really no one that was doing this. There actually is another company in Canada that does something oh, similar. Okay. Yeah, something similar, but Cadillac had reached out fall of 2019. They had been doing this for about five years and they wanted something different. Well, and I remember she said to me, their event planner said, would you realize nobody else is doing this on the West Coast? And I said, I do actually. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean for that. I just, it was something I love to do. My husband introduced yeah. this whole new world out in Nevada and so it was something that we just kind of organically, you know, we were doing anyway. So I was like, well, let's bring some people along and join in the fun. And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Aside from running your business, you're also big into philanthropic work, volunteering, giving back to the community. Why is doing this type of work so personally important to you? And has this always been a big part of who you are, Jeannie? I remember the day, and it was a colleague of mine when I was in field sales in the Jupiter sales office for Siemens Power Generation, and he said, you do so much, and you give, you are so much, you really should give back. And that was literally the moment I remember I signed up to be a guardian ad litem, and I was certified by the state of Florida to speak in court on behalf of abused, neglected, and abandoned children. And that really was the beginning of it for me. I think beforehand, I was just not, I mean, I was under 21. So you're focused on your collegiate career and so on and so forth. So that was the moment. And ever since then, I just started getting involved in a lot of, I would say, children focused type activities and volunteerism and that type of work. And then also women. So a lot of Harbor House Habitat for Humanity. I ended up meeting the founder of House of Hope on a plane and she me in and I started doing a professional personal skills class for those girls was healing teens facility. I probably started that in my you know early 20s mm-hmm. and I'm still trying to figure out in Nevada where those are. I've joined some things and they're really not, I don't think where my focus needs to be going back to yeah. being intentional. So I need to figure that out in Nevada, but it's been ever since my 20s and I just, I do it because I think that's what we're supposed to do as humans. Yeah. I would agree with you. I think that's a big part of why we're here on this planet is to be in service and to help others. Absolutely. Yep. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful, Jeannie? 
It's funny. We were actually asked that by one of our managers back in the day, which is superpower. And as a joke, I always said mine was impeccable timing. I was like, impeccable timing. (laughs) But, But then I said, no, realistically, and I think I said it earlier, I do think it's my perspective. I think it's my perspective on life. For me, I'm driven by my faith. And so that is a great rule book for me. It's a great arrow, my guide my driving force, that I do think it helps with my perspective on life. And so when, you know, blank hits the fan, it's like, okay, let's figure it out. It's not, there's a lot that can happen in life, right? Life happens. And so just keep your head up, shoulders back, keep moving forward one step at a time. It's what I say to everybody all the time, head up, shoulders back, keep moving in the right direction. Love that. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Being on Brad Walsh's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty good. Okay, now the real answer. (laughs) It's sort of in line with it. I think regardless of what level, how many years, if you think you're an expert or not, or a leader or not, if you have done something in your life where someone's asking you, for input, asking you for advice, asking you to be an example, asking you to speak, ask, you've done something, you have done something right, right? And it's different for all of us. Somebody could be on a world stage or a TEDx and someone could have had five people in a room and could be equally as impactful. So I do, I think if somebody asks you, comes to you and says, marital advice, you've done something right in your marriage that they've seen at least where they're calling upon you or as a mom or a mentor or a trainer or a consultant, someone's coming and saying, I need your help. I need your input. You've done something right. And that's success. You've done something. I love that. That is beautiful. Aside from the funny answer you gave, that was pretty good. I was not expecting that one. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) what's the truth? Impeccable timing. Jeannie, what is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? My gosh, I would say really to focus on what you can control and to not worry about what you cannot control. When you're younger, well, at least for me, nobody taught me about boundaries or those types of things. I just was like full speed, 5,000 miles an hour ahead, which worked. It was fine. But really, I think through my 30s and then my biggest challenges have been in my 40s is then to really focus on what I can control, what I can't control. I mean, and even recently, up in like the last six months, I've been really listening to, you know, messages from my pastor or different leadership talks and different things like that, that keep driving messages of maybe what you're trying to control is the one thing you need to lean on somebody else for really resonated with me in areas, especially from an entrepreneur and building business and clients. And then also as a mom, I think you need to, for me, that's been something who is, it's been very transformative for me to let go of that. And I think we've got to let go. You cannot control it. You've got to let go of the guilt of, of all of that too. Absolutely. Right. Like once the decision, I'm not, I can't control that. I'm going to let that go, let go of that guilt. If you harbor it. I have a sense to harbor it sometimes. Yeah. But like I have a sense to harbor the guilt just to let that go. It's okay. It's okay to say no. It's okay not to have be part of that. It's okay to say I cannot control it. I don't want to be around it. That's a very tough thing to shift though. It takes a lot of practice and a lot of work to get to that point. And again, we're never there fully. We never fully arrive. I think we get to a point where if you can get to a point where you can at least turn the volume down a lot quicker and turn it completely down, then you're good, right? Because again, as we said earlier, we're human beings. We're always evolving. We're always growing. Just because we've been through the trenches and been through the shit doesn't mean that because we're on the other side of it, it's not going to come back again. It's just a matter of being able to turn the volume down. Yeah. And that's, that's a great analogy. That's a good visual. Yeah. But it, it's, it's always out there. I mean, I, I've used the term controlled chaos, right? Yeah. Life is chaotic. There's a lot of chaos. So how do you control the chaos? We're not going to get more hours in the day for as many no. engineers I've worked with. They've come <laughs> up with more hours in the day. No one's been able to figure it out yet. <laughs> so I'll have a lot of stuff to manage. So how yeah. do you control that chaos? And gosh, yeah, turn the volume down. That's you know? it. 
What does the word empowerment mean to you? Oh my gosh, I love this. So I think for me, believe it or not, it's, it kind of evolves and changes. And maybe that's a common theme with me with think your input, your output, things that are going on in your life. Maybe that changes. But for me right now, empowerment is your body, heart, mind, and soul literally feel like they're having a party in your honor. It's like, <laughs> right? It's just, you're ha- it's I love a party that. <laughs> in your honor. Think about the last time when you really did, and you just, I mean, you walk, you're like, oh, oh, I can't, who am I going to tell? Who am I going to talk to? How am I going to share this information? And your body is just having a party in your honor. So that's- I love that. <laughs> that is one of the best definitions I've ever heard. I love it. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type thing. How would you describe yourself in one word? Life. Wow. I like that. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Have faith. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be? I loved my people. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? I love that I love to sing, but I can't (laughs) at all. Hey, you try and that's all that matters. I love it. I do it anyway and it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing it and that's all that matters. What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? More time. What is your personal motto? Toot your own horn if nobody else will. Yes. That concludes our rapid fire section. You did very well. Good job. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What (laughs) challenge? Excellent. Well, good. Hey, that's what it's about, right? That's what we're here for. What challenge in your life would you say has shaped you the most? Younger in my years, I would say moving to Japan. I moved to Japan when I was 21 years old. And my gosh, that just taught me a lot about other cultures and people and being the odd man out, being the blonde hair, blue eyed in a world of a totally different culture. So it, I mean, man, that just taught me the world. I came home and I couldn't recognize English money until I saw like someone would say $4 and 16 cents. And I literally had to see 4.16. I was so immersed in the culture, but, but now in my forties, I would say my biggest challenges are I got married at 40. I inherited two stepchildren three months prior to that. So became an instant mom to nine and 13 year old, and then ended a career at 21 years of semen, started a business, got pregnant. All of my forties. Yes. My 40s, I think, have been my biggest, but blessings at the same time. So I found it really difficult to say and to express, man, that was a lot. It was a big challenge, but it was. But it's really hard for me, honestly, to verbalize that because I got my miracle baby at 43, smack dab in the yeah. middle of 20. So again, always trying to think optimistically, but realistically, yeah, those have been my biggest challenges and they have taught me unbelievable lessons of just strength and perseverance and just keep moving and figuring it out. I mean, it is true. There are no rule books to any of them. Absolutely. So to keep going and one step at a time. I used to work for the president of sales and I remember the day he gave me, he said, I'm going to give you a big job. I'm giving you this, right? And I got a big group of people that I didn't have before. And he said, just check off one thing at a time. And it is so simple. And I've given a couple speeches lately on back to the basics. And it's not a dumb it down back to the basics. It's really just stopping to overcomplicate things. Yeah. Just simplifying some of the basics. And that's part of it. One step at a time. Check it off one thing at a time. And that's what's really helped me through this process. That's so important because we do, when we, using the stair analogy, when we're standing in front of a staircase, we look at the entire staircase. We don't look at it one step at a time. And that's how we should be looking at it because that prevents the overwhelm or will help in preventing the overwhelm. You can only do one thing at a time. So focus on one step. Don't look at the bigger picture. Right. And it's okay to take a step back and to see it and recognize sure. Yeah. That's smart. That's your end yeah. goal. Well, how am I going to get there? What's up there? All yes. this. But right now, it's that next step. I did a 25 mile hike for, oh my gosh, Trailblazer Challenge for Make Wish Foundation. My knees, Brad, hurt. I'm like, what the heck? I do this stuff all the time. But my knees were so painful that literally every step was just like this jarring pain going through my knees. And I remember just going, just one step, one step further, one step further. So in that moment, it's literally one step at a time to get through it. 
And I think it's also important to mention, too, that we should be celebrating as we go through each step because we don't celebrate. We're so busy and caught up in the to-do list, checking this off, checking that off. I got to get this done. And then you don't take time to slow down. It's right on to the next thing. Take the time to slow down and celebrate. No matter how small or big the wins are, we need to celebrate. And again, this also creates a ripple effect. When we do that, it gives other people around us permission to celebrate as well. Right. It's Absolutely. so important. Yeah. And so often we celebrate after the fact or yeah. recognize people's great lives after they've gone on and they don't get to see the thousands of people yeah. who have come together to talk about how amazing they are. So I totally agree with you. We need yeah. to celebrate those wins and successes every single chance we get. Absolutely. What is your why, Jeannie? My why used to be Jeannie loved awards, accolades, being in charge, being the female. (laughs) My why has shifted to, I have people watching me now and I specifically have stepkids and I have a three-year-old. And so that's my why. They're watching me. I'm their example. I want to do even when I feel like taking a nap. Naps haven't existed since 1992. But no, I'm kidding. But, but now my why, my why is those eyes on me to continue to be a positive role model for them. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? Right now, just asking that question to learn the traveling, the beauty and the lessons and the culture and the people of travel and getting out. It can be here. It can be in the United States. That's okay too. But just to go and watch other people and see how other people live and how they appreciate or don't appreciate. I mean, I remember being in Mumbai, India. I spent two weeks, I was in Singapore and then Mumbai, India, shadowing a CEO of one of our global divisions. And I remember Mumbai was, there was a lot of filth in certain areas and then mm-hmm. some of the most welcoming, lovely people. And so I remember asking this woman, I said, you know, everyone's so kind. And they said, well, we believe our visitors are like inviting God into our place, into our home. Wow. And so, yeah. And I just think there's so much we can learn for ourselves and then so much we can take back to our teams and to our families and to our life and our friends and everything else from really immersing ourselves and just witnessing other cultures and, and how people learn and do business and act and think and live and thrive, quite frankly. Travel is such an incredible education. Truly. It it's the be- I think it's one of the best educations you can get. Right. Yep, it is. Yep. And I hope companies are investing in that still and, and or continue to or do again at some point in time. And I hope, you know, people take that opportunity if given the chance. What is something surprising you've learned about yourself in the last year? I am unbelievably surprised at how relaxed I am as a mom of a toddler. <laughs> I thought for sure. I mean, I laugh more with her and giggle more and I don't take it too seriously. I don't take life too seriously. She throws a tantrum. I think it's hysterical. I mean, I probably won't when she's 13, but no, I'm really surprised on how much kind of I'm just as an older mom going with the flow. Yeah. From a business perspective though, I'm, I don't want to say I'm surprised at the grind because that is part of what you do, but I have learned a lot as a business owner coming from corporate America where a lot of things are done for you. So over the last year, especially coming out of pandemic and continuing to push and grow, and you probably have recognized this too, Mm -hmm. really learning how to keep that going. Yeah, for sure. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? So it would, without a doubt, forever, the rest of my life, be my mom. Mm-hmm. And she's still here, but... See, I don't want to get emotional on the podcast. Um, but okay, here, go. Watch, I think... I've watched. I've done a lot of things later in life that people did earlier in life, right? So I got married at 40, had stepchildren, babies, business, and all these things. And I have had very little loss I haven't besides grandparents. And so I have, and my family is very strong. We're a very strong family, very loving family, step family, all of us. And so 
I watch and I hear and I listen and I learn from people so that I don't have to make that mistake. I try to learn from other people's and I watch what people say and they will say things like, call your mom if she's around because there's no one else I'd want to talk to. So my mom is my go-to. I ask her about vocabulary. I still ask her about cooking. I don't navigate this morning to my dance, my kid's dance studio. My mom is my go-to. She is brilliant. She's amazing. She's loving. So it would be my mom because I know one day she will not be here and I will be asking for that one hour. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Gosh, there are so many. I want to say continue doing volleyball, Jimmy. (laughs) But a more poignant is to always know that everybody will have an opinion about you. The nicest person in the world, somebody will have something to say about how nice you are. The most beautiful person in the world will have a comment. It's just to rest well with yourself as much as you possibly can. Can't please everybody. You're never going to. No one ever has. Nobody ever will. Is just to walk so confidently in yourself and let the other stuff go. And lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? I'm going to tell you my last 30 seconds and then she's out. I'm going to sing Whitney Houston, the greatest love of all, at the top of my lungs, as out of tune as I possibly can, and mic drop, and I'm out. That's what I'm going to do. Jeannie, thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here today and share a little bit about your story and your journey and all of the incredible things you're doing through the work that you do. I appreciate you taking the time to be here with me and share all of that. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have the opportunity to sit down and speak with you. I appreciate you. Thank you, you. Brad. Thank, and I appreciate you. Please keep continuing to do what you do. You are absolutely amazing. I'm very thankful that I've been connected to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast today. My guest has been Jeannie Sanders. She is the CEO and president of Practice of Positivity Corporation, the founder of Grit, a motivational speaker, leadership trainer, and consultant, and a philanthropist. Thank you so much, Jeannie. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you, Brad. You too. Bye, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.